Hi there. Hi, Dave. Okay. Uh, yeah, the background looks a bit messy. Sick <laughs> tell. I actually, uh, this is my office, come shack, come everything, my music <laughs> room, and trying to fit everything in here is a bit of a nightmare. But uh, hey, uh, at least you can tell I spend most of my time working, not tidying up. <laughs> it's fine believe me I'm, I'm 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 messy so i know i know what it's like it's it, it just shows passion i think when you're that organized <laughs> it just uh it's i know where everything is nobody else does but i know where i can put my hand on anything in it but there you go you've got your own system indeed it's sort of called chaos theory <laughs> I think. first question well thank you welcome to the podcast first of all First question, what is the Radio Society of Great Britain and why is it split into different regions? Well, the Radio Society of Great Britain is a rather large radio club, to be quite honest. It's uh, got a commercial arm as well, so it's unique in that uh, sense. Uh, but it is very much like um, a union. Uh, we represent amateurs and radio amateurs uh, uh, and shortwave listeners uh, um, from the UK and uh, those based abroad as well um, with regards to the hobby. So uh, we lobby on their behalf uh, with the governing bodies of uh, amateur radio. So people like Ofcom, we have a lot of dealings with. Uh, and also on an international level with the ITU, International Telecommunication Union. So is it just amateur? or is there a professional element to the society as well no it's all amateurs um the the society itself do have some full-time employees based at uh, our hq in um, milton Keynes. um the idea is is that there's a, a full-time uh, staff a core of staff uh, that are paid uh, uh, the majority of the staff actually at head officers, about 18 staff in total, but many of them work part-time, so uh, they're not all there at the same time, so we have some part-time roles. But the uh, biggest uh, majority of the work is done uh, by um, an army of volunteers. And um, say, for instance, you, you ask uh, why we uh, split the regions up into 12 regions, well, 13 uh, regions, uh, and that is because basically we have to cover the whole country and um, there's a number of people in each region uh, which is broken down into districts uh, that actually physically uh, do um, the representation of the RSGB and reach out to clubs and uh, amateurs as well as the guys at head office. Um, so whenever you go to um, a radio rally uh, or a, a club and there's an RSGB person there, it'll be one of the regional team that uh, turn up there to do that uh, particular function. And what's the appeal of amateur radio? Um, you could ask the same of many, many uh, hobbies, really. What's the appeal of fishing? <laughs> also, you know, in, 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 in some cases, amateur radio is very much like fishing. You can uh, throw the, you, you know what fish you're trying to get, uh, but you have to know what bait to put on your hook and all the method of actually catching a fish. Yeah. And then you stick it out there and you see what you catch. And uh, in a lot of ways, amateur radio is a bit like that because um, no matter what equipment you have or what knowledge you have, um, uh, depending on what the sun's doing and what the propagation does uh, for the radio signals, you never know from one minute to the next what you're going to, uh, uh, who you're going to be talking to next. So it's a uh, very varied, very varied. And there's so many different arms to amateur radio as well. Um, so some people just like talking on a microphone, but there's other modes 
that you can use. You can uh, use computers to talk to each other using various modes. Um, you can uh, try bouncing your signal off the moon uh, with uh, EME and uh, reflect your radio signal off the moon back to Earth again. There's all sorts of manner of things you can do. And from that respect, um, amateur radio is so vast. There's so many different facets to the hobby that it's just infinitely fascinating. Uh, you can do one thing, and then once you've done one thing, it's like, well, what else? Well, there's loads of other things to do within the hobby, which is, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's attraction, I think, really. And is there a large social element to it? Do you talk a lot on radio? Is that a part of the appeal? Um, there is very much um, uh, an element of that. Um, it, it's, it's quite interesting. Not only can you keep in touch with people within the UK, and in fact, uh, amateur radio came into its own during the, uh, the um, COVID lockdown with lots of people getting their equipment out of the lofts and dusting it off and, and firing it up again. And uh, all of a sudden, amateur radio had a, a huge resurgence during that period where people tried to keep in touch and uh, to fight battle the loneliness and what have you. Um, but um, it's a great way to keep in touch with people and you can meet new people. I, um, I, I've spoken to a number of people abroad um, that I've actually met up with. You know, um, and many people do this. They, they, you can make um, uh, lifelong friends from people uh, in countries far away that you would never have met otherwise. I, I do remember my own personal take before mobile, CB radio was the thing. And you would have people communicating in the age before mobile phones on CB radios. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite funny days. Um, I actually started out uh, many years ago uh, on CB radio myself before I became a radio amateur. And um, back in the day, it was quite funny. We used to do these things called eyeballs. Uh, and you get on the radio and you'd uh, say, uh, oh, I'll, I'll come round to your house and we'll have an eyeball. And you go around for a cup of tea and you go down there for a chat. And you sit there in the chair drinking your tea whilst they totally ignore you and talk to someone else on the radio, <laughs> which was rather bizarre. But you know. <laughs> And regarding the equipment, is is it expensive? Do you need a big antenna? How does it work? Okay, um, it, it, you can start very very cheaply. Um, I've got a radio here, which is uh, uh, this one, which hasn't even got a battery in it at the moment. But this is a a, a cheap uh, Chinese handheld radio that works on VHF, and uh, you can get one of these for about thirty four pounds or less even on the second-hand market. And uh, uh, they're a great uh, introduction to amateur radio. Um, very, very limited range, obviously. Only a little aerial, only a battery, so it's not going to go miles and miles and miles. But uh, it's, it's a good way of getting started. The only problem is, of course, is that if somebody gets one of these and uh, they, they, they try and get in an amateur radio and they use a, a cheap little radio like this, they sometimes the results can be a little bit underwhelming. So... Um, you know, you basically get what you pay for with amateur radio. Uh, you you start to uh, um, spend more money and you get um, much nicer gear and it does a lot more for you. But um, unfortunately, you can't just go out and buy a piece of kit like this and then suddenly start talking on the air. You actually do have to do some training and pass some exams um, because... Um, using the wave bands that we do as amateur, radio amateurs, it is a privilege, not a right. So um, uh, Ofcom dictate that we have to take these exams. So we take the exams, uh, which are hosted by the RSGB. So there's another service that the RSGB provides. 
and um, we can do uh, they can the, the uh, exams can be taken at uh, local radio clubs uh, or they can do a physical paper exam or you can actually do them online with the RSGB now as well so you don't even have to uh, leave the comfort of your own home to take the exam but uh, you know you do need a little bit of training and there's plenty of that available from clubs and online to help you do that so this training does it involve how to use the the radio what frequencies to to broadcast on yeah, it's, it's, it's very much broken down into various sections, the uh, uh, amateur radio syllabus. Not only do you have to know um, how to uh, use a radio within the conditions of your license, which are dictated to by Ofcom, um, there are three different licenses. There's a foundation, which was created to help bring people into amateur radio. So the technical uh, side of it is not so intense uh, there's an intermediate which is a stepping stone to the full license and each of the uh, licenses give you more and more privileges as you work through them but uh, the foundation license is very much aimed at people beginning and getting in there um, uh, the thing is is to give them confidence that they can operate legally within the framework of the license they can do it safely without uh, causing uh, uh, danger to themselves or others, uh, including interference. Okay, so you don't want to be firing a radio up and interfering with um, essential services. And and there's um, uh, <laughs> there is a little bit of theory about how the radio works as well. But then you go on to the intermediate and there's more of a, uh, it opens up the uh, to the practicalities of allowing you to build things um, uh, and use things that you build uh, all the way up to the full license which allows you a lot more power um, you're allowed to use up to 400 watts which is more than the average radio will put out uh, so you can use amplifiers and things and actually big aerials and uh, because uh, it's deemed uh, that you know what you're doing if you pass your full license exam uh, you know you know what you're doing by this stage so you're not going to be causing yourself a nuisance to anyone um, and that's really it so um, and there is recently just been a, a, another uh, way to get your full license which is the, the direct to full uh, uh, license path which has been developed for people that are actually in advanced educational work within the industry anyway so people that um, have done a degree in electronic engineering uh, will have no problems with the maths uh, entailed in say the full examination because we do have to work some things out with some formulas in, in that so um, and there's people People that work in the uh, telecoms industry that already have all this experience so they don't really want to go and do a foundation and an intermediate and yeah. they're probably pretty well set up to do the full license straight away and that was actually being developed to give them um, uh, a way to get their full license without having to do all three exams so what could you do with the full license which you couldn't do with the beginners What's okay, well, you, as I said, uh, you can use a lot more power, which means uh, uh, when conditions are poor, you can actually use more power to contact someone else. Uh, uh, it uh, allows you to operate on a boat, like maritime mobile, we call it. With the permission of the uh, ship's master, you're allowed to use amateur radio on a boat, which you can't do with a foundation or intermediate. Uh, it also allows you to use uh, 60 meters, which is um, a wave band that's been opened up to radio amateurs within the past few years, 
which um, is uh, we use on a secondary basis to the military. Okay, so the military actually have this waveband. It's not used so much these days, and they've released some uh, frequencies for us to use, but you're only allowed to use it if you're a full licensee. Um, other things you can do is... Um, uh, go abroad and use uh, your amateur radio equipment abroad. Um, many countries actually recognise the full UK licence and will actually allow you uh, a reciprocal licence in the country that you're visiting. Uh, not all countries sign up to it, but the majority, uh, a lot of them do, especially the European countries. And uh, I've had uh, much fun um, using my full licence in that way. I've actually been on holiday and taken my gear with me. I've actually been on a cruise ship and taken my gear on a cruise ship and operated in the middle of the Atlantic, which was uh, great fun as well. So um, all these opportunities come to you if you actually take the full license is the reason why it's so regulated because governments use them for emergency services for important reasons so they can't just have anybody interfering with those frequencies or on those frequencies well the whole point is is that you stay on those frequencies we've uh, the amateur radio bands have been uh, designed um, in increments of uh, harmonics. So, say for instance, uh, if you're going to cause an interference to anyone, the idea is is that you only cause interference to other radio amateurs because if there's any harmonics, they end up on the on the uh, other bands that radio amateurs use. But the problem comes is when the equipment is faulty, it is not on frequency, it goes off frequency. You could be um, straying into um, aircraft frequencies, uh, emergency services frequencies, uh, you could be causing interference to medical equipment, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's all sorts of things you have to bear in mind that RF, ra uh, you know, radio frequencies can be harmful, um, not in the ways you would first imagine. Uh, it wouldn't be great if um, somebody walked very close to one of your aerials and you've got a uh, a huge amount of power going through it and you don't keep them away from the area or you key up and their pacemaker starts playing up you know it, it could have uh, really yeah. nasty consequences so this is why training is essential yeah. and why we have to be responsible as mm. radio amateurs which is why the licensing procedure uh, so it's not just fire it up and give it a go and cause havoc you know so the our emergency services do they have their um radio frequencies encrypted or, or could people potentially listen in on them um well um that's in a state of flux at the moment uh the emergency services for some time have used used a system called tetra tetra uh which is a vhf system uh, and those um those services were encrypted um back in the old days um it's uh when uh, the um, police uh, ran around in Ford Anglias and had the blue, uh, the light blue floor Anglias and things like that. They used to use uh, four meters FM, which um, the old criminals could actually listen into. So uh, they could tell how much time they had to get out the bank before the rosers turned up. But um, that that uh, went by the board some time ago, and um, they uh, developed uh, Tetra, which is a VHF encrypted handheld radio. And now they're going to um, uh, a, a, a totally different trunked radio system, but that is that as well is secure. So unfortunately, you can't listen into the UK police. And strangely enough, in in the states, you could still listen to the police. They they they, they use unencrypted radio out there, which is a bit bizarre. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, we, we be a bit ahead of them there. 
it was a, it was a thing growing up where people would buy scanners so they could listen into the airwaves of like other people uh other people's conversations yeah well you, you still see the films now don't you uh where you got some uh uh newspaper hack with his scanner going so he can get the scoop and get to whatever's going on before anyone else uh but uh, uh frankly that doesn't fly in the uk or in europe because we use encrypted radio here going back to the equipment so these these antennas does it equate to the bigger the antenna the the, the further you can reach the further you can travels. have the best you can have the best radio in the world but if you haven't got a very good antenna you're not going to get very far um and unfortunately um with uh, uh, aerials um in uh, VHF uh, in uh, very high frequencies height is might it's very directional and very much line of sight with um basically uh you uh with HF it's a lot different the bigger the better um in many cases uh larger aerial arrays actually will amplify your signal so you can actually put like 100 watts of power into um, a directional antenna which will give you gain and actually you could be putting out thousands of watts of uh, radio frequencies in one direction because it's all channeled in one direction instead of going everywhere so um aerials are very very important power is important as well but not as much as uh, the aerial and the other thing is is that for um however efficient an aerial is at transmitting it's also more efficient at receiving so there's no point in putting loads of power out if you can't hear who's talking to you so um you know the aerial is very important and uh in my view it's much more important to have a good aerial than lots of power if so i mean is there a, a a maximum size the average person could have antenna wires on their house without needing planning permission is is that a thing well, unfortunately um as soon as you start talking about putting aerials on houses you run foul of uh, planning permission in in a lot of different ways um there are ways that you can uh, minimize the impact of your aerials you can have uh, aerials in your loft you can run them around the uh, guttering of your house you can run them around um, um, fences and things like that. Um, they are compromises. You know, you're not going to get um, the best performance out of a compromised antenna mm. that you would do if you had a large aerial in free space. Sometimes if you've got a nice plot of land and you can got understanding neighbours who aren't going to complain too much, then, yeah, you can put big aerials up. But uh, a lot of people are are finding it quite uh, troublesome. Um, one way around it, of course, is not to operate from home at all, but to operate mobile. And lots of people do that. Um, so uh, you'll see sometimes in the middle of a field, people with a, a big mast up with all wires and aerials hanging off it, and uh, go over and uh, say hello, and you'll be introduced to some rather nutty radio amateurs in the middle of a field um, but it's it's um it is um what it is uh people do do it they uh they they do these mobile operations to get away from the noise um there's an awful lot of radio uh frequency noise in um cities and towns um people with plasma tvs 40 switch mode power supplies you name it they all make a hell of a racket and uh, it makes operating from home very difficult sometimes so um there's a that's another incentive for people to go out and play radio mobile um because they can get away from the noise of uh, of the city you know 
if you had one of these mobile units, how far could you broadcast? I mean, would you be able to go to the side of the Atlantic or Ireland or what's the sort of reach on on equipment that people could feasibly buy? Um, I ha- My first radio uh, was an, uh, was a quite small. It's actually a, a mobile radio, but it did VHF and HF, so it was jack of all trades. Uh, my first contact was with a guy literally half a mile down the road who came back to my first call. Uh, later on that year, um, I had a contact to someone in the Falklands. So, and that was uh, from my house, never mind going mobile. So uh, when you actually get out mobile, you can actually uh, hear a lot more uh, the people coming back to you from all around the world. Um, but I've uh, I've got contacts into Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, Falkland Islands, South Shetland Islands, uh, all sorts of places uh, at the opposite side of the world. So if you you can you can literally work the world uh, with amateur radio. That's the sort of, the conditions are right and. Yeah. Uh, you, you you can't always uh, account for those. We we have a good idea of what the sun's going to do. Um, the propagation that allows us to talk around the world is dictated to pretty much by the weather on the sun, uh, which is rather strange. But um, it actually charges up a layer in the atmosphere called the ionosphere, which actually reflects uh, radio waves around the world. And um, if the sun charge does its job and charges it up quite nicely, uh, then we get nice reflective ionosphere and we get good propagation. Um, but at the moment, as I speak, I'm looking at the KP index at the moment, which is uh, um, which tells us that we're being hit by a solar windstorm. Uh, so uh, there's a coronal hole on the sun at the moment, which is letting a stream of ions out of the sun. It's hitting our atmosphere, and it's put a big dent in the uh, ionosphere at the moment. So that will dissipate within the next uh, 12, 12 hours or so. But um, you get this uh, these phenomenon from the sun that actually affect what actually happens with the radio propagation and it, we we can forecast and uh we can forecast and sort of like get a general idea of uh, uh what the propagation is going to be like at any particular time we have um uh software that predicts it for us and um that uh, also varies on the five year sunspot cycle so on during the sunspot maximum we get loads of uh uh, propagation and um, and the sunspot minimum not so much so uh, it's a, it's a very very interesting hobby you get into space sun uh, the weather on the sun for instance how many hobbies <laughs> would you uh, uh, get into that about you know what did, what was did you say the K, kp index is that what you said yeah the K, kp index oh, don't ask me what it stands for <laughs> uh, there's there's a, a number of, i've got uh, i've got a big clock up here um and uh, it's got some information on it which shows me what's happening with uh, various uh statistics from the sun so we've got the smooth sunspot number which is 77 uh we've also which uh, is fed into the propagation uh, uh software uh we've got a, a solar flux index uh normally that number the higher the better so we're at 135 at the moment uh during the sunspot minimum it'll be right down 50 60 something like that mm. on a high we're up um near the 200 200 plus and that's when things get quite lively 
Uh, we've got an X-ray number there, which shows you the amount of X-rays that are hitting the uh, uh, the uh, the ionosphere, um, and that affects another layer in the atmosphere called the D layer. And um, when you get loads of X-rays, that D layer absorbs radio waves. So the higher the X-ray number, the D layer gets more absorbed, absorbs more radio waves. So it's worse. Uh, so we like the X-ray number to be low. Uh, we like the KP index to be low because otherwise that knocks the ionosphere around. We would like the sunspot, uh, the uh, solar flux index to be high and the smooth sunspot number to be high as well. So uh, it's a bit of juggling of figures around there, but uh, it's it's all interesting stuff. <laughs> I've got to ask you, when you made contact with this person in the Falklands Island, what's the first thing you say? I mean, I assume you're not, are you expecting to to hear anyone? Are you just saying hello? How does it work? Well, basically, um, um, uh, most amateur radio conversations um, comply to a particular format. We've all got a call sign. Mine's M0MBD. Or if you're using the phonetics like we do on HF, it's Mike Zero, Mike Bravo Delta. And what we'll do is if we're fishing for a, a general conversation, we'll call CQ, which means um, calling all stations, CQ, CQ. Uh, and sometimes we'll put in the, uh, the letters DX, which means long distance. And some of these abbreviations go, go all the way back to the days of Morse. Uh, obviously, um, when you're banging away on a Morse key, you don't want to be using the full words all the time. So they created a code called the Q code. And some of these abbreviations uh, are still in use now, but we use them in speech even. So we call CQDX, and that means calling anyone long distance. Say, so just having a reel that off so cqdx and somebody will come back to us and they'll come back uh um they'll come back um uh, they'll come back with my call sign and then their call sign it's always the matter of you give your call sign last don't ask me how that came around it's <laughs> that's a historical thing um but that's that's from so it, it's normally um call that person from this person right and so the, the, our, the first cook over will be me calling CQ and then some bloke will come back and say this is uh, G4XYZ um, and uh, I'll go back to him I'll say G4XYZ M0MBD uh, and then I'll give him a signal report and I'll say you're giving me a, a great signal 5 and 9 which means um, a radio 5 signal there's a, a scale of 1 to 5 for the quality of the audio mm. and the nine is what's reading on our meter so we have a signal meter and uh we'll say five and nine means you give me full deflection on meter just about and your audio is very good so it, i give him five and nine i'll tell him where i'm from tell him what my qth is so i don't tell him where i'm from i'll tell him my qth which is uh Hainal, uh northeast of london and then i'll go back to i'll go back to you whatever your call sign is from M0MBD. And then he'll come back and tell me a bit about my signal report, where he is. And then the conversation can either move on from there if he's busy and there's a queue of people trying to contact him, right? We try and keep the contact short so it yeah. gives other people the opportunity to talk to him. If uh, if he's in a chatty mood, we'll have a chat about the weather or, you know, how many sheep are in the Falklands today, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So uh, <laughs> it, it can, it can uh, be quite, quite... Uh, 
sometimes we'll talk about our, our equipment, our stations. Uh, we'll uh, describe what we're doing, or if you've tried out something new with your radio. And um, sometimes uh, I've done it before. I've had a couple of aerials, and I said, "Well, I'm going to switch to this aerial now. Which one's?" sounds better to you and stuff like that so it it, it can be a technical conversation yeah. it can be um uh, uh, sometimes you can get on uh on the radio at the weekends and some of the um networks that go on at the weekends you hear people telling each other all about their lumbago and um their tennis elbow and what have you um so you get all these kind of conversations and everything in between yeah. um obviously we like to try and keep away from things like uh, politics and religion yeah. and they're generally uh, steered clear of although it's not uh, exclusive <laughs> <laughs> Some people still to go. There's no no law against what you talk about on there. To be quite honest, um, but um, I suppose um, there the, there are the uh, common sense uh, things that you don't talk. It's it's a bit like the issues with social media these days. Um, you've got to temper what you talk about, yeah. really. Uh, the etiquette. Yes, they're very is yeah. is much so. Now the interesting thing is, of course, is that not everyone in the world speaks English, so some of your conversations are going to be quite short. Mm. And this has actually uh, also been reflected in the uptake of di what we call digital modes, where people use computers to talk to each other on the radio. So basically, you've got a computer hitched up to a, a modem, which makes some funny noises. Uh, that goes into your radio, goes over the airways. Somebody at the other end with another box decodes those squeaky noises and turns it into text on the on your screen, and more people are doing that um, basically because making these squeaky noises takes up less bandwidth than actually speech. So with less power, you can actually get better contacts, further contacts, and the other thing is, of course, you don't have to speak English because the computer. Uh, the stuff comes up on your screen and you just type in some or you have some pre-configured responses that you can give. So people that don't like talking on the radio can actually take part in amateur radio as well without actually saying a word in a microphone. A lot of people say, well, that's not real radio, is it? But I mean, it's using technology to communicate wirelessly. So it is radio, just not as some of the old timers know it. So um, the, the hobby's moved on. We've got new things to do. Um, I, I just embrace all of it. I think it's uh, a great smorgasbord of technology that we get to play with, you know. Dave, it's been fascinating talking to you. I know we've run out of time, but it's been it's really interesting hearing the different aspects of radio communication. It's it's a technology that's been around for years, you know, decades, but it's still very much popular with yourselves and people like you. If if people are actually interested in it, then by all means, um, take a look at the RSGB website. Uh, there's a, a page on there called Club Finder. And just search for Club Finder. And you can find a radio club somewhere near you. Uh, and you'll find loads of people that be only too willing to help you get involved if, you, if, if you're interested. And there's uh, loads of uh, websites and Facebook pages and stuff. But, you know... Um, Try club, try club. Um, they're, they're, they're always on the lookout for new members and you can talk to someone who really knows what they're talking about. I really do appreciate it, Dave. Take care and I will speak to you soon. No worries, you take care. Cheers. Bye-bye, Dave. Bye.